Chapter 10 of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 10 The Sublime and the Ridiculous. Judith was not astir early next morning, completing her arrangements to leave the city. True to her promise, Pollyanna did not waken her. She tiptoed about softly as she prepared breakfast, and she and Jimmy conversed in whispers over their oatmeal, and, contrary to their custom, Pollyanna did not go to the door to see him off. After his departure she went on with such of her morning tasks as could be dispatched without undue noise, and listened as she worked for signs of life in her little guest-room. At ten o'clock a faint voice spoke her name. Pollyanna, hurrying to answer the summons, was shocked at the pallor of the face that gazed up at her from the pillow. There were dark circles under Judith's eyes, so that they looked unnaturally large, and her lips, even, were a chalky white. "'Pollyanna,' Judith said faintly, "'I'm awfully sorry, but I don't believe I can get up this morning. I—I I feel so sick.' Pollyanna straightened the rumpled bed-covers. "'Just lie quiet, Judith. You'll feel better after a little. Perhaps a cup of coffee would brace you up.' "'Oh, no!' The mere suggestion was too much for Judith. Her pallor was replaced by a sickly greenish hue, and she closed her eyes. Pollyanna, regretting her indiscretion, busied herself with setting the disordered room to rights, lowered the shade to keep out the obtrusive sunbeams, and then stole away, leaving the door ajar. She was relieved by the certainty that Judith could not start for home immediately. Already Pollyanna had discovered that many disasters are irrevocable, merely because people do not give themselves time to cool off. Along in the afternoon Judith was able to eat a little, but she did not feel equal to leaving her bed, and the evening was quite different from that which her host had anticipated. Jimmy, it is true, read several chapters from the book which had so fascinated them twenty-four hours earlier, but it did not have the same effect. Pollyanna was constantly interrupting him to go into Judith's room, on one pretext or another, and even while she sat beside him, apparently engrossed in the story, he was perfectly aware that her thoughts were wandering to the unhappy wife who had thrown herself on their hospitality. As a matter of fact, Jimmy did not read as well as usual for the reason that his own thoughts were quite unmanageable. The following day Judith dragged herself out of bed along about noon, and suggested half-heartedly that now she was well enough to carry out the programme she had outlined when she first presented herself at Pollyanna's door. Pollyanna vetoed the idea empathically. "'You're not going out of this house to-day. You're not fit to exert yourself, and certainly you're not fit to travel.' Suppose you should feel as ill on the train as you did yesterday. There's no reason in the world why you shouldn't stay here till you feel quite like yourself. Judith hesitated. If I stay, Pollyanna, you must promise me something. What am I to promise? Pollyanna asked. But she guessed the answer, and her heart sank. You mustn't try to make me take back what I've said. My mind's made up like the laws of the Medes and Persians, or whatever it was that couldn't be changed and I can't stand it to argue about the affair. I'd rather start for home if I knew I was going to die on the way." Again her voice showed signs of hysteria, and Pollyanna reluctantly gave the desired promise. 
I won't say anything about it unless you feel like talking it over with me. There's nothing to talk over, Pollyanna. It's settled forever and ever, and the least said the better. Pollyanna fully agreed with the closing sentence, though she would have amended it to the form, the least said the sooner mended. She noticed uneasily that, in spite of her empathically expressed opinion, Judith wrote several very long letters that afternoon, which Pollyanna was reasonably sure contained a full account of her domestic difficulties. Apparently Judith's idea was that she was to be free to say whatever she pleased, while the least said on the other side, the better. But Pollyanna's promise rendered her helpless, and she saw her stationery melting away, with a regret quite independent of the fact that it was a birthday present from Jimmy bearing her monogram, and reserved for very special occasions. The third day of Judith's stay found her little improved. Pollyanna asked no questions, but she was sure from the girl's appearance that she had hardly slept. She presented herself at the breakfast-table and ate almost nothing. She insisted on assisting Pollyanna with her household tasks, though her jaded air, as she moved wearily about the rooms, tired Pollyanna more than all the work she would do in a week. She had never found it more difficult to be cheerful than now. Every time she looked at Judith's pale face, her heart was wrung by a spasm of pity that frequently brought the tears stinging to her eyes. The only thing Pollyanna could find in the whole situation to be glad about was the fact that Judith had not as yet left the city, and as long as she and Russell were separated only by a partition wall, a thin partition at that, for it was quite possible to hear in one apartment any unusual sound in that adjoining, Pollyanna clung obstinately to the hope of a reconciliation. That evening, however, fresh complications arose. For the first time Jimmy showed signs of becoming restive. Pollyanna was reasonably sure that the indications of dissatisfaction would not be apparent to eyes less keen than her own, but the realization that Jimmy and herself were not agreed, where Judith was concerned, carried dismay to her heart. She racked her brains for a tactful way of approaching the subject, as a preliminary to bringing Jimmy around to her way of thinking but when they were alone together that evening he saved her the trouble. "'How much longer is your friend going to stay?' "'Shh! Why, Jimmy, I'm hoping that if she stays a little longer, they'll make up. Meanwhile, she's a good deal like the death's head the old Romans used to have at their feasts. They evidently thought it added to the gaiety of the occasion, but I'll be hanged if I can get their point of view.' "'Shh! Of course she's unhappy, Jimmy. Wouldn't you despise her if she could be cheerful?' Think if something had come between you and me, and I was starting to go back to Aunt Polly. Jimmy looked at his wife's earnest face and surprised her by bursting into a shout of laughter. Then, with an effort to resume his injured manner, he said sulkily, It's rather hard on us, though, when we've got the sense to behave ourselves, and not start to pulling each other's hair every time we don't think alike, to have Judas glowering around the house indefinitely. Oh, but it won't be indefinitely. That is, it can't be very long. Either they will have a reconciliation, or else she'll go home. And Pollyanna sighed so heavily as she faced the latter contingency that Jimmy forgot his grievance in his effort to comfort her. Jimmy, if possible, slept more soundly than Pollyanna herself, and when, during the night, he opened his eyes to see his wife sitting bolt upright in bed, his sluggish brain reached the conclusion that it must be morning. "'Time to get up?' he asked drowsily. "'Jimmy, did you hear it?' "'Hear what?' Jimmy's tone indicated that he was fully awake by now. 
I don't exactly know. It sounded to me like a shot. You've been dreaming, Jimmy was beginning, with a husband's invariable instinct to prove his wife's fears groundless. But before he could continue, from the hall outside came a wailing cry. Pollyanna! Pollyanna flew to answer the call, while Jimmy leaped out of bed and began to dress. Some instinct warned him that his services would soon be required. Pollyanna found Judith standing in the doorway of her room, her face bloodless and her eyes protruding, as if she had seen something unutterably horrifying. She hurried to her side, too shocked by her appearance to dare to ask questions. It was Judith who spoke. "'Oh, Pollyanna, did you hear it?' "'Hear what?' For the life of her, Pollyanna could not raise her voice above her whisper. "'Shots! Two of them! Pollyanna, he shot himself, and I'm to blame!' Judith! Pollyanna's head whirled. She had a paralyzing fear that she was going to faint, and she took a tight grip on her self-control. What makes you think, she began, speaking each separate word as if it were a heavy weight, the lifting of which required all her strength. I've been lying awake, and I heard two shots, and I know they were in our apartment. He's killed himself, I tell you. I was always so afraid of that revolver, Judith moaned even though it wasn't loaded. He loved me, Pollyanna, and I left him, and now—now now I'll never see him again." With the last words Judith seemed to crumble. She dropped at Pollyanna's feet in a faint. Pollyanna made no effort to revive her, for she realized that if Judith had been right in her conjecture, quick action might save Russell's life. People who tried to commit suicide were not always successful. She rushed to Jimmy with the story, which, tragic as it was, could be told in half a dozen words. Judith thinks Russell has shot himself. Did she bring her latch-key? Jimmy asked, and in all her distress Pollyanna felt a thrill of pride in his steadying composure. I don't know, I'll see. She ran to her guest-room, stepping over Judith's body, which practically barred the entrance, and emptied the contents of Judith's pocket-book upon the dressing-table. There was a key-ring, and on the ring a key which Pollyanna recognized as the latch-key to the next-door apartment. Jimmy was at the door as she brought it out, his young face grimly determined. "'Do you want me to go with you?' Pollyanna whispered, her teeth chattering as she thought of the sight Jimmy might see. "'Good heavens, no! Can't you do something for her?' "'I'll try,' Pollyanna answered. She brought water from the bathroom and sprinkled it on Judith's face. But when the girl stirred and moaned, she had a sudden conviction that she had been cruel in bringing her friend back to the torture of her accusing thoughts." Judith's heavy lids lifted. She stared up at Pollyanna wildly. "'What has happened? What am I doing here?' "'You fainted, dear. As soon as you can help yourself a little, I'll try to get you to the bed.' Languidly, Judith raised herself into a sitting position, and Pollyanna put her arms about her and lifted her to her feet. The journey across the little room seemed endlessly long, and just before they reached the bed the thing happened which Pollyanna had been dreading. Judith remembered. "'Oh!' Her slender body writhed as if stung by excruciating pain. She fell across the bed and lay on her face, clenching her fists and shaken by long-drawn sobs. Russell, oh, my poor boy, is he, is he dead? Jimmy's gone to your apartment, Pollyanna whispered. He took your key. He'll come back soon and tell us. Judith did not answer, and there was nothing more for Pollyanna to say. For an ordinary grief, she might have found words of consolation, but what comfort was possible for a sorrow like this? 
As she waited, listening for the sound of Jimmy's footsteps, she heard only Judith's sobs and the noisy beating of her own heart. Her rigid attention must have wavered after a time without her being conscious of it, for she did not hear Jimmy enter. Her first intimation of his return was when he spoke her name, and at once she clapped her hands to her mouth to keep from shrieking. Pollyanna, Jimmy repeated gently, and then, as she staggered into the hall, he put his hands upon her shoulder. "'Go to the other room,' he said. "'No, Judith will be all right. Just do as I tell you.' Mechanically, Pollyanna obeyed, and then, from the door of her own room, she looked back and saw Russell's eager face as he stood outside, waiting for Jimmy to give him the signal to enter. Pollyanna dropped into a convenient chair, feeling limp all over, and struggled to keep back her tears. Jimmy followed her almost immediately. He did not look at her nor speak, but sat down on the edge of the bed and covered his face with his hands. For an instant Pollyanna experienced an agony of sympathy all the more poignant because she could not guess the explanation of his emotion. Then, with a revulsion of feeling which flared up into hot anger, she realized that he was convulsed by silent laughter. When Jimmy had had his laugh out and wiped his wet eyes, he looked across the room at the white-set face, which gave no indication of relaxing in response to his humorous gaze. Jimmy blinked and looked again. He had seen Pollyanna angry on rare occasions in the course of their acquaintance, but never before had he seen her angry at him. Having satisfied himself as to what ailed his wife, Jimmy began to realize that from her point of view his outbreak of mirth had been without excuse. Pollyanna had been braced to hear the details of a tragedy, and instead he had given himself up to laughter. He could not blame her, and yet he was unable to see, for the life of him, how he could have helped himself. Pollyanna, he said humbly, I beg your pardon for laughing. Pollyanna tilted her chin and made no reply. To his astonishment he perceived that she was like other young women after all, capable of being thoroughly unreasonable. I suppose, continued Jimmy dolefully, that it was the reaction that made it seem so excruciatingly funny. I was keyed up for the worst, you know, and then those infernal tomatoes. What? I forgot you didn't know. Yes, Pollyanna, the shots you heard were those pesky jars going off. The noise had wakened Russell, and when I got to the door I could hear him moving around, and I knocked instead of using the latch-key. He cast an oblique glance in Pollyanna's direction. He thought her face had lost a little of its severity, but could not be sure. Then he let me in, and I told him that we'd heard shooting, and Judith was so frightened that she had fainted away. He didn't even know she was with us, you see, and that got him. Jimmy looked at Pollyanna again, and congratulated himself on having said the right thing. Russell was investigating when I knocked, and we kept on looking all over the place. After a while we discovered those tomatoes. The jars had been standing right in the sun, and I imagine the covers weren't on tight enough. Anyway, they got to fermenting and blew up. The table and the walls were all spattered with red stuff, and when I saw it I just doubled up laughing. I suppose I ought to be kicked, said Jimmy penitently, but I just couldn't help it. Pollyanna made a quick movement suggestive of dissent. Well then, Russell and I had a talk. He'd taken it for granted that Judith had gone home when she said she was going, and when I told him how she'd been with us, and sick besides, he was pretty well broken up. Then I remarked that, in my opinion, the stage was set for a reconciliation. 
Of course he started to say that she didn't care a rap about him, but I soon stopped that. "'Tell that to the Marines,' I said. "'She's pretty near crazy, because she is afraid you are hurt, or she was, till she fainted away.' And then he began to do a little snivelling himself, and I knew I had him where I wanted him. "'Oh, Jimmy!' Pollyanna's voice indicated admiration blended with self-reproach. But Jimmy did not look in her direction. I didn't give him a chance to think it over. I took him by the arm and said, "'Come along with me. My wife's been nursing your wife for several days, but it's my belief that she won't be cured till Dr. Russell is called in.' Jimmy felt a touch on his arm and turned to look into Pollyanna's brimming eyes. And, though not a word of penitence was spoken on either side, in the kiss they exchanged, they both asked and gave forgiveness. In the morning the door of Pollyanna's guest-room stood wide open, and Judith's clothing and travelling-bag and umbrella had magically vanished. Pinned to the pillow was a note in pencil on the reverse side of an old envelope. "'I can never thank you enough for your kindness, Pollyanna, darling. It's all because of you that we're happy again. Russell says that he thinks Jimmy is the most lucky man in the world except himself.' but I know that Jimmy is a million times luckier. With all my love, Judith. P.S. Wasn't it too killing about the tomatoes? End of chapter 10 Recording by Claire